0: Joined again by Matt Cameron, who's been off for a while. So welcome back, Cameron. Work and all that. Um, Johnny, who is generally put upon to do the podcast when he comes on. But this time, Johnny will just get to be one of the crew. Uh, I'm already sleeping. (laughs) Which is what Johnny does best when he's not being a doctor. Um, And then uh, Tim, who, yeah, well, you know. If you've been listening, you know. I like the cruise sidekick. <laughs> um, okay. And today we are going to be discussing the uh, subject of terraforming, which for you laymen out there is essentially changing uh, a planet in, in a particular way, generally to be habitable. Um, and so um, this is all kind of in the sci-fi realm. Um, none of this is... Well, some of this, I'm sure, there's grounding in in the, some real work that's being done, but the, there's no practical terraforming that's been done. All of this is at least hypo- hypothetical, hypothetical, if not entirely science fiction-based. But um, let's start a little bit. Uh, Johnny was just asking a question right before we got on the podcast. It seemed like a pretty good place to start. Johnny, you were asking something about the atmosphere.
1: Yeah, so... I mean, obviously, we get our air that we breathe from the atmosphere. It's very important for life. And the discussion was, well, if we went to Mars, we would need an atmosphere. Um, And so I was saying, well, what keeps our atmosphere around? Is it gravity? Is it something else? Uh, I'm just not really sure.
0: And uh, I was going to let Matt see if he could uh, answer this question.
2: Uh, for those who weren't here for the pre-talk, which was everyone, we kind of organically arrived at this topic. It was a beautiful organically, thing. like yeah. you know, organisms. Yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. that's Yeah, right. with
1: with a carbon backbone, we came to this <laughs> organically. <laughs> that's right.
3: Yeah. Okay. So, um, there there have been different ideas about why we have an atmosphere, um and why it hasn't bled away into space. The basic thing is that Earth has gravity. Well, that's a revelation. Um, but yeah, the, the fact of the Earth's mass means that other mass is attracted to it. Uh, and we've talked about the equation for gravitation between different objects. You have mass 1 plus mass 2 times some constant that I forget uh divided by the square of the distance between the masses. Well, if your masses are large, then that force becomes pretty large pretty quick. And that's cool. Um, so you may ask, though, how come other planets don't have atmosphere if gravity is all that it takes? Well, they do, uh, just not as you know effective at being uh, you know, a habitable atmosphere. Um, Mars, for example, has um, what? It's uh, about a little over 0.3, almost 0.4 times Earth's own gravity. Martian gravity is much weaker. It's it's about 60% lower than what you have on Earth. Well, that means that you have 60% less force holding air in place. And so there is air, it's just much freer to bleed away uh, out into the vacuum of space. And that leads to other uh, problems like, one, is there enough air for me to breathe? No. Two, do I have enough air and atmosphere to shield me from all of the radiation that the sun is kicking out that will kill me if I don't have adequate atmospheric protection? Uh, The answer to the second question, weirdly enough, seems to be maybe. Uh, We sent some probes to Mars, and they found out that radiation levels on Mars were much lower than expected, which is kind of cool. But the problem still remains that I don't really have enough air to breathe, and I don't even know. I have actually, actually no idea on this one. Even if I had a bunch of atmosphere, that doesn't mean that that atmosphere is made up of enough of the elements that humans require to survive, you know, like oxygen, um, in its composition. You have an atmosphere with, uh, you know, X amount of oxygen, and that is less than what a human needs to survive. Well, you're going to have a a less good time, even though technically you have air. Does that make any sense? I think so.
1: (laughs) I guess that From like a medical perspective as well, um, you know, you see these hikers and thing and people that go up to very high mountains um, and they can get pretty sick uh, because the air pressure is a lot lower. Would you run into something like that since what is Mars's air pressure, for example, is it so much lower that we just wouldn't even if they did have their right amount of oxygen? would it just be impossible for us to actually physically breathe it in because the pressure is
3: too low uh i don't know exactly i would uh, i would not be surprised at all if that were the case um you know uh, you know i'd I'd have to look at google here um which i'm going to do uh but yeah if uh, you know humans are are kind of Delicate creatures. If uh, outside air pressure gets too high, we we kind of implode on ourselves. You run into that with um, deep sea exploration. Submariners run into a disease called the bends, uh, just because even though they're inside a submarine, um, you get too much pressure down there, and uh, it hurts. It it the body doesn't respond. In a way that a body normally would under normal pressure conditions. So, you know, Mar- and and the same is true at low pressure. Um, you you climb up a mountain, your lungs start to not work the same way. You run into something called hypoxia uh, from well, that's more oxygen deprivation. Um, but uh, yeah, the the pressure thing is a concern as well. Um, We'll, so in, we'll at match, ground level on ours, yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, interestingly, um, the, the reason you have oxygen in your blood, there's a, there's a couple reasons, but one of them has to do with the partial pressure of the oxygen in the air will diffuse into the blood without the need for like hemoglobin or some another carrier to carry the oxygen in the blood. So because you're like up a mountain, you get hypoxia because you just don't have enough pressure of oxygen to get into the blood like you do at like sea level, for example. So Yeah,
3: no, that makes sense. Um I was just looking it up. So Earth's um air pressure at sea level is uh fourteen point seven Psi pounds per square inch. That means that well, While you're sitting here at zero feet altitude, um, you have 14 pounds of air weighing down on every square inch of your body. That's good. It keeps your ears from exploding, and it keeps your guts nicely tucked inside you, and it makes it easy for you to breathe. If you go to Mars and you start sniffing around the Martian atmosphere, you're quickly going to realize that... Uh, it's it's not doing the same thing for you. And part of the reason, yeah, is because the pressure is much lower. Uh, the Martian atmospheric pressure is about 0.095 PSI as compared to 14.7 PSI. Uh, for context, that is like less than a hundredth of the pressure of Earth. Less than 1%. Way less than 1%. Um, so... Yeah, that's an issue. That if if you're running around on Mars, you would require a pressure suit of some sort, like a space suit, in order for your you know, your various bodily fluids not to boil away.
1: That was a your, fantastic
3: visual. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing that was thought for a long time was that because um, because Earth has a magnetic sphere around it a magnetosphere that magnetosphere holds the atmosphere in place well that was kind of the belief for a while uh, but then we actually sent some probes to mars and we looked at what the you know how much atmosphere there was floating around up there and it turned out that there was a surprisingly large amount uh, more than we thought there would be more than uh, you know would have been expected if a magnetosphere is the only thing that keeps your atmosphere in place, because Mars does not have a magnetosphere, the Martian magnetosphere—well, um, Mar- the Martian magnetic field is is such a uh, a complicated mess that it's you know it's it's just not a coherent thing.
2: Okay, so basically you're saying that Earth has a coherent magnetic field around it. And because of that, that provides a kind of protective bubble from the solar wind, the blasts of radiation that are coming off of the sun. Mars, whatever magnetic force action is going on in the planet, isn't coherent or not really creating a big magnetic bubble. And so the Martian atmosphere is much more prone to get, like, torn away by solar radiation. Am I understanding it right?
3: Yeah, that was the idea. Um with Earth you have a north pole and a south pole and that's good. Um and it's nice and straightforward. Your south pole is south, your north pole is north. If you look at Mars's uh polarity, it's uh it's far there's there's poles all over the place. There's not a north pole and a south pole. There are just magnetic pockets. The magnetic field lines across Mars just go all over. Uh, There's not a coherent magnetic field. Well, that's an issue if you're trying to have a coherent magnetosphere. So the thought was because Mars doesn't have that, then, um, then it wouldn't be able to have a magnetic field and therefore it wouldn't be able to hold in an atmosphere that would shield Uh, Martian inhabitants from all of that solar radiation that would, uh, you know, kill you. Well, we sent some probes up to Mars, and we found that even though there isn't as much atmosphere, um, weirdly, there is much less radiation on the surface than we expected. Um, So what does that mean? Well, the radiation is blocked by more than just the magnetic field. I'm sorry, we're, we're kind of confusing a couple issues. The atmosphere, um, we know that blocks radiation
2: somehow uh, to some extent. So basically, you're saying if I go swimming on Mars, it's probably okay, but I should wear a lot of sunblock.
0: No. We've talked a lot about pressure and atmosphere, which are obviously very important in terraforming, but they're not the only considerations. Um, because temperature is also pretty darn important. Um, We don't do very well with extreme temperature uh, fluctuations as humans either, so, uh, and once again, anything outside of, you know, I guess they call it the Goldilocks zone, um, uh, being a planet around a particular star, go back and listen to our astronomy podcast if you have more questions about that. But There's a particular area where temperatures are generally believed to be in a range that might be able to support um, life, depending on all these other factors as well. But uh, temperature issues are significant even within our solar system. Venus, I was just looking it up. I mean, the the temperature on Venus gets to be, uh, what does it say, Um, 127 degrees Celsius on the surface.
1: Yeah, that's a big number for you, Carl. I understand. (laughs) Well, it's more the Celsius issue, all right? (laughs) Right.
3: So, Um, weirdly, you know, the Venetian temperature is driven by kind of an almost opposite atmospheric problem. Venus has, you might say, too much of the wrong atmosphere. Heat is locked in by by cloud cover and just can't escape. Um, And so venus's temperatures are extreme mars you're right has uh the opposite problem heat has well one you know mars is smaller than earth you 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 know that because of the uh the difference in gravity that also means uh mars has a lower thermal mass that means it's just not going to hold heat the same way thermal mass and mass are very much related but uh, because Mars is smaller it's going to hold in less heat unless there's another compounding factor to help with that heat retention Venus has its ultra thick heavy atmosphere Mars doesn't have that uh, and so you know f- for that and and other reasons I mean it's it's it is farther from the Sun less intense radiation reaches it than on earth um, that can be you know that's another factor uh but anyway the upshot is that mars's temperature is significantly lower than earth at maximum it gets to about 70 degrees fahrenheit which is nice but the average temperature on mars is uh about negative 80 fahrenheit um which is you know i mean that's like great lakes region temperatures Okay. Yeah. That, that was a bit of an understatement. Um, that is that is far colder than any habitable region that you have on yeah. Earth.
0: Right. It only feels like it's that cold when you're up right. in, like, northern Michigan or something.
3: Yeah. And and so there's, um, you, you know, you have to solve the problem of, of an atmosphere in order to help with the problem of temperature. Uh, at the same time, if you get too much atmosphere, like Venus has, you, you can swing the temperature the other way um but yeah if you don't have enough you're going to have a very uncomfortable time where um climate controlled shelter becomes essential you you wouldn't be able to survive outdoors for very long or or rather um outdoors without a climate controlled suit like a space suit or something uh, we yeah, keep and coming so, back to spacesuits being necessary to live on Mars, I don't know that that's <laughs> going to change anytime soon.
0: Right. Well, and so that's I guess one of the big things about being about terraforming and why it seems so awesome if we could actually do it is the idea right now of, of either a colony on Mars or something like that is completely dependent on you know us being able to build some type of dome structure or going underground and, and generally controlling a small, very small area and and you know with a lot of technology where if we could figure out uh, solutions to these um, you know these issues with the atmosphere and generally be able to create conditions on a planet such that it just uh, was able to you know reg- regulate you know to the point where it can uh, sustain life on the surface, uh, and liquid water and those things, then all of a sudden the spacesuits are no longer in play and you can actually go and colonize it uh, meaningfully beyond just specific, um, you know, small, uh, you know, installations of, of uh, high technology areas where you have to are completely dependent on, um, you know, oxygen systems and water being transported in or, or recycled or whatever. So, um So that's the the allure of uh, terraforming. Um, uh, Let's see, Cameron or Tim, do you have any uh, input on terraforming?
2: Yeah, I want to bring up. uh, Oh, sorry, Cameron, you go first. No, no, it's it's all right, Tim. You go. It's all right. All right. Well, I wanted to bring up another um, problem as far as like terraforming, and that would be the getting there part. So... uh, flying to mars would take months right um well, but,
3: y- yes um i mean it's it's not a quick trip but it, it but can it, be as little as a um, couple months few months
2: okay but all that time in uh out, outside of the earth's magnetosphere um any any traveler would be uh we, we would basically need to bring our own, like, protection from the radiation of space with us. Is that right?
3: Yeah. It's one of the problems that you run into um, is, is creating a uh, creating the transportation that can heft not only the astronaut, but also all of the shielding required to keep the astronaut alive amidst that giant cosmic microwave um yeah the ships that are going to carry people to mars are going to require heavy amounts of shielding and and that means mass and that means um you know less that you have available for your payload um again this can be done but it's you know it, it's difficult um there's a couple different ways you can get to Mars. Um, you can do a, what is called a Hohmann transfer, where you line up your orbits neatly and efficiently, and you can use a minimum of fuel to get a large amount of stuff from one orbit to another, from Earth's orbit into Mars' orbit. And that's uh, pretty cool. You could, you know, you, you would be able to move a whole lot of stuff for not a lot of fuel problem is it takes forever many months uh and so you can do um you know that's okay if you're not dealing with organic astronauts (laughs) that are going to you know die uh so if you're firing off a rover or you're firing just a cargo load of materials to mars you can do this more efficient slower uh, orbital transfer uh, if you have astronauts, you might want them to get there quicker. And so you can do a direct shot. Um, that is faster, but it takes a ton of fuel. The flip side is, if you go slower, then instead of all of that mass of fuel, you require all of that mass of shielding. So there's there's kind of a trade there. Um, yeah, getting to Mars is doable because we keep doing it we just chucked an suv and a helicopter up there so you can get things to mars Um, but it is a significant effort and it becomes more significant when you have an organic life form that you would like to actually survive the trip
2: Um, and so when you when you put all this together the fact that terraforming mars would require Uh, moving huge volumes of you know uh, atmospheric uh, stuff to create the atmosphere or water and then the people themselves it would be a phenomenally expensive project right yeah
3: yeah, it wouldn't be cheap and and things are becoming cheaper and more efficient but yeah there's uh, there would be a lot involved this would in order to set up uh, you know, a serious terraforming project, in whatever form that takes, you would be, it, this would not be a single mission by any means. This would be a long, concerted, bazillion-dollar effort of multiple launches hauling multiple loads of cargo out to Mars over the course of many months.
0: Probably, right? But there, there are different options on, on how we terraform. Uh, at least I'd imagine. I'm, no I'm sure
3: there are, and I don't know what all of them are, uh, what well, the ideas right. so, are, and I don't know uh, what I'm, the uh, postulated resources include. Right. Um, but it, I, I'm yeah. Because so I,
0: you know, I could well, I could conceive of, of, of us essentially coming up with a sen, uh, some type of. <laughs> I mean, I call it a bomb for for lack of a better word, but something that we just shoot essentially at Mars that that, uh, on the surface explodes and inside of it has a lot of a particular element that we are trying to create a particular reaction with uh, and so we essentially bombard Mars with a bunch of these in order to produce a particular reaction on Mars. those types so, of things, while' still expensive, would be significantly less expensive, and we don't have to deal with shipping people there until we've done a bunch of things to Mars to the point where we've gotten it um, you know hypothetically at least habitable, right? So we shoot a bunch a bunch of uh, hydrogen bombs at Mars, introducing hi- hydrogen this copious amounts of hydrogen into the the atmosphere there to see what kind of reaction
1: it has or at least. Uh, Big uh, what you're saying what we need to do is shoot the Genesis torpedo from Star <laughs> Trek, whatever it was, into Mars. I'm telling
0: There's
2: you, a- it
1: starts as science fiction and
0: nobody you know, sees it as a science until it becomes, you know...
1: So blah, blah, blah. what we need to do is get Spock trapped into the torpedo that we shoot into Mars <laughs> and we'll be all hunky-dory. Star Trek was ahead of its time. All right. That's right.
3: So um, I I I would refrain from making any comment on the actual feasibility of dispensing hydrogen dispensers on Mars uh, and whether or not that would be useful. Um, but yeah, if I, I mean if you have a method of terraforming that involves preconditioning the planet with prepositioned resources. Great, go ahead and do that. But at the end of the day, you're probably looking at finding a way to put a whole lot of mass on Mars. I mean, just the amount of atmosphere that you need. Um, If you think about how much the air around Earth weighs, you don't really think that it weighs anything because it's air you don't feel it well as i mentioned though you have 14 pounds of air pressing down on every square inch of your body all the time there are are you know an there is an unfathomable amount of air around the earth that amount of mass whatever it is however many uh you know hundreds, thousands, millions, billions of tons would need to be added to Mars at some point somehow. And just getting that so, mess there is a thing that needs to be figured out.
2: Ooh, ooh,
1: ooh. I just we read that moon and put it into Mars. Cameron, Sorry. did you just read that too? Because I just read that. <laughs> no,
3: I didn't read that. I just you come here to Listen to the live Google search results. I'm sorry, you did break up a little bit. What was the thing that you were saying?
1: <laughs> Cameron,
0: Cameron just said that um, you could put throw the moon at Mars. Is
1: that what you said? In, into basically Mars. it's Matt's talking to get that mass, you would you'd literally have to like get a moon in there to increase its
3: mass, which well, would destroy everything. Okay. That would I mean, do bad things. Okay, well let let's let's pretend this is a good idea um somehow. <laughs>
2: yeah, I subject a despicable me.
3: Yeah, so um w- when you want to move something, uh there there's an equation for that, the kinetic energy equation. Um kinetic energy is one half mass times velocity squared. Now, when you're dealing with an orbit, you're dealing, and and when you want to change an orbit or move something from one orbit to another, you're talking about changing its velocity. Because that velocity term is squared, whenever you change velocity, you're talking about uh, requiring a very large amount of energy. So if you want to take the moon and chuck it into Mars, you need enough velocity. or or, I'm sorry, enough energy to affect the moon's velocity. And that's, I mean, the moon is not small. The moon is big. That mass velocity squared equation is going to very quickly become pathobly large.
0: That's if you think about us directly hitting something and it, you know, one-to-one. But if you imagine a chain event, um, where I, so I was just reading. And yes, I sometimes read Wikipedia during the podcast. Yeah. Um, so
3: essentially, there's this... And uh, by
1: sometimes, he means every time.
3: Every <laughs> time. Yeah, there's unless this, we're uh, talking about the rare thing that we actually know something about. Which, which is happen. not why you turn into this podcast. You turn in to learn things from a layman. That's which right. is us. Okay.
0: Paul Birch, who was a scientist in the UK was thought, uh was essentially theorized almost what Cameron was saying essentially saying take one of the ice moons um and from the outer solar system and get it and essentially hit venus with it um and he said if you do that you'd uh, be able he said what well, you'd be uh, theoretically you would um ch- ch- Sorry. Anyway, he said you could flick one pebble at an asteroid bent belt, and end up dumping Mars into the sun. So just essentially the idea of chain reaction, chain reaction, chain reaction, gravity, 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 boom, a big thing happens as a result. So uh, yeah, I mean it would—it's ha- you know all kinds of calculus involved here, but essentially instead of us having to shoot something directly at the moon or whatever, if you could f- figure out a way to hit an object enough to change its orbit enough to hit something else and so on.
1: Yeah, it's just like darts, right?
3: Yeah. <laughs> Okay, am so. not
0: saying it's easy. Look, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying yeah. that there are out of the box ways of thinking of uh, of achieving terraforming because this this scientist also thought or one of them talked about putting up like uh solar shades around Venus. Essentially projecting a massive um umbrella, you could imagine uh, over uh, around Venus protected from all of the uh the
3: heat. Yeah, well, let's think about that. Uh, How much solar shade would you need to put up there? What is the weight in pounds per square foot of that shade material? Based on that weight, how much energy do I need to expend to chuck that much mass into an orbit around Venus? Based on that energy requirement and the heating value of my rocket fuel, how much rocket fuel am I going to need to expend? Based on that astronomical number, how on Earth am I going to build the billions of rockets necessary to put that much mylar in orbit around another planet to block out the sun? I would suggest that these calculations need to be done before someone throws around the idea of Venetian sun shields.
0: Okay, well, yeah, the Venetian sun
1: shields, I don't know. (laughs)
3: Likewise. Um... You know, using um, I'm envisioning what you've described as kind of a celestial pool where you knock one ball into another ball. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. So so that's cool. And if you can line up the balls that are already moving to collide with each other, you know, a small adjustment to one ball could have a large impact on another ball, potentially. Um, But Good luck. Uh, it's it's an interesting thought, and there's some significant implications. Oh yeah. When we I mean, talk about trying to ram work. celestial yeah. objects into each other. <laughs> um, but... I
1: just wonder how much. When you were talking about the amount of rocket fuel, I just wonder how many things of Tupperware you would have to fill up.
3: Yeah. To get uh, that much rocket fuel. Well. Uh, tune in next time when Learn It from a Layman talks about obscure units of measurement like a bath and we will talk about how many baths of Tupperware would be required to uh, put up a Mylar sunshield sufficient to terraform Venus.
1: And that is something well, okay. that I'm, I'm going to tune in for. That.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, before we wrap up this podcast, uh, be, as um, I wanted to comment that uh, we've had uh, lots of people tuning in recently. So uh, thank you. Tell your friends, not about this episode, but about the other ones. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So in reality, terraforming is awesome. And I think you've learned something here. Um, And I think we need more resources uh, brought to bear here. But we have, like I said, we have worldwide listener base. We've got um, people showing up from all 50 states, all the provinces in Canada, um, all of Australia and uh, pretty much all of Europe, um, people all over listening to learn it from a layman. So we appreciate that. But uh, for terraforming, let's bring it back to the idea that um, there's a lot of math to be done here, lots of outside think- uh, out of the box thinking. But this would be this would overcome lots of other. Issues that we'd run into trying to create a particular a base on Mars. Um, so while they seem to be planet-sized problems, if they are solvable, they come up with planet-sized solutions.
2: Um, and so, let me, let me plug in one thing, Carl. Just a kind of a, sure. a thought as we wrap up. I mean, but it, even if we, you know, do eventually develop the technology or, or know how to um, to overcome these really tricky problems the the expense of of doing something like terraforming Mars would be would be incredible Um, I was when we I have conversations like this I like to point out that really um, we've got a whole lot of area right here in our backyard that could use a bit of terraforming and we could do a lot cheaper you know the Sahara Desert the outback in Australia And, you know, some of these uh, places in the world that are currently not um, arable or habitable um, already enjoy benefits that, you know, on Mars are, you know, just uh, pipe dreams. You know, they have an atmosphere proximity to water, um, you know, the the Goldilocks stuff. So it's not near as exciting. But um, when we think about terraforming and think practically Um, I think the conversation should always come up to how can we how can we improve the uh, the vast stretches of our our own planet that are currently, um, you know, dry and and barren. And um, we we apply some of these same ideas and stuff. It would be much easier to to terraform, uh, you know, the Sahara, for example. So anyways, just just food for thought.
3: Yeah, because deserts aren't any kind of uh, you know critical feature of a planet's ecosystem or anything. Um, <laughs> so, uh, well,
0: in that is, right. And, so. and it, yeah,
3: it it would be interesting to take a desolate part of Earth like you know Arizona, and and test out or prototype some of these terraforming methods on it. Except you can't. Because you don't have the same representative environment, you do have an atmosphere, you do have a magnetic field, that which works on Earth, I don't know if you could, with confidence, prove that it would work in uh, one of those other places, but, yeah, I'm, I'm all for efforts to try to terraform, you know, Arizona, and make it a little more habitable to humanity. We're it's too hot down to there. It's a college
2: try. Yeah. Oh, and now, weirdly, college so, try,
3: well, no, I don't even want to go there. I get
2: people. All of our there. listeners will be interested to know if you would like to get in on the ground floor. We are starting a terraforming fund that you can contribute to. And yeah, we 100% to. of funds will go to terraforming something. So. Get in now? Right.
0: Exactly. Yes, our Ponzi scheme.
1: Tim, you sold that well. You might be able to terraform an ant farm here pretty soon.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. Well, the one thing. So, uh, in, in rebuttal to Tim's idea, well, I think it's true that we need to do more to. Uh, yeah. And and well, it's far more feasible. Um, these other planets are uninhabited, so if we chuck a bomb at them and it doesn't work out like we thought it was going to.
3: I really am not sure about hydrogen.
2: I like these bomb. Bombs. ideas. Right? Bomb oh, Mars. <laughs> Let's make that. merch. Let's make bumper <laughs> stickers and T-shirts. Bomb yeah. bars. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, you know, there are. Um, there are. A number of celestial bodies out there that we could try and experiment on uh, that are more or less. Naturally, uh, you know, lend themselves to terraforming. Uh, some of the moons of Jupiter might actually be adequate candidates. Titan either, either comes up away. every now and then. It is farther away. It would require much more energy to get things there. Yeah. But you know, as a as a proving ground, it might be something that you could use to check things out. But anyway, there's yeah. there's a lot of planets, and a lot of planetoids, and a lot of things. Uh, I'm just glad that we have Earth. Earth is great. Earth is nice. Um,
0: Okay, and on that note, Johnny, did you have a final word?
1: Yes. Kids, eat your vegetables.
0: That was the final word.
3: (laughs) Okay. Um, Grow a
1: garden. Make the world a better place. That's all we go.
3: uh, I, I think you know, one of the things that comes up um, in my mind is uh, there, there's a lot of intelligent people who um, who have kind of sounded an alarm bell about, uh, you know, we, we need to be able to move to another planet uh, because we only have so much time on this earth and all this other stuff. Okay, I don't know if I agree with that but what I do think I agree with is that we do have a planet that is pretty awesome. Uh, was, you know, custom made just for us. It is incumbent on us all to try to do what we can to not screw the thing up. So I will, I will leave people with that simple thought.
0: Yes, that is good. So do your best. And, uh, in the meantime, learn some terraforming techniques and experiment on Mars. So, um, join I'm, us I'm next time. And building
1: my own hydrogen bomb right now to target <laughs> <at> Mars.
0: We <laughs> oh, yeah, we do not condone uh, building m- weapons of mass destruction. Um, <laughs> and
1: I'm going to launch it with I my
3: own. Condoned it shot. pretty hard earlier. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Well. Um, We'll leave terraforming before we get arrested. Um,
1: or and as long as I aim it right, it'll create the correct chain reaction to <laughs> build a planet that we can all move to. There we go. That's right. All right. Yeah. Uh, like, like I said, uh,
0: join us next time. Um, we'll be discussing lasers, and uh,
2: we'll see you back then. I'm I'm sorry, but just that that. Go- we talk about bombing Mars and next week's topic, laser. Laser <laughs> Mars.